0: Cloud computing has been one of the most breakthrough revolutions in technology in the past 10 to 20 years, but it poses a problem for Web3. Given most cloud providers are centralised organisations like Microsoft or Amazon, as we strive towards decentralisation, it's become increasingly clear to developers that we need a decentralised cloud. Today, I introduce you to one man who is trying to build just that. This is the Web3 Podcast. I'm your host, Callum Woodcock. Enjoy the show. I'm very lucky today to be joined by Jonathan Shmuel. Jonathan is the CEO and founder of Aleph, a cross-chain network featuring a decentralized database storage and computing. Jonathan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Really happy to to like be here today. Hello.
0: Hello. So we always kick off this podcast, Jonathan, as you'll know, if you've listened to any of our other episodes by asking you to give a bit of an overview on your professional career to date and in particular how you ended up in Web3
1: well i've been a consultant for quite a lot of years as a developer first and then i also did a bit of iot and i came back to blockchain because i i played with it only with bitcoin at start but then i kind of let it aside and came back to like the blockchain world with ethereum and then I started playing with some other alternative blockchain, including NULS, which is a Chinese blockchain. And there was a need for infrastructure around it. So like I created an open source developer ecosystem around it. And that's where I found some of my best friends and best partners in this ecosystem. And I started the 11.im project when I was trying like do big decentralized applications and there wasn't any tools available for it and that's how i dive into it and created the project and some of the people that i met uh, creating that open source community at nurse joining the project later on
0: that's amazing and then where did the idea for a left come from so i think our audience would love to hear exactly what it is you guys do other than my extremely high level description that I gave at the beginning, and really, I suppose, what problem you're solving uh, with the company?
1: Well, I will try to like, go from the, from the current state of things, even if it's not the same than, like what was when we started. But uh, you have a lot of decentralized applications, a lot of DeFi stuff. But in reality, what is decentralized is just a smart contract. And when you dive into it, a lot of these services are actually using AWS behind, uh, aside those smart contracts to like have a centralized backend databases file storages etc and it's not decentralized so what we are offering is actually a full decentralized stack uh, we are like a decentralized aws like for like all the blockchain like projects or like even non blockchain re- uh, related applications so we are offering storage as in database storage, because most websites are databases. Uh, file storage, because your frontend is just JavaScript code, HTML code, pictures, etc. Unlike your users, we likely add images and things like that. We're covering that. And we are also covering the computing side with micro virtual machines, akin to AWS Lambda for those who know, uh, who are running your code uh, on the network in an infinitely scalable way. And we are also offering a bit of indexing because when you want to like get data from on-chain, more often than not, uh, your service will like go index data on-chain and on, like storic store it in like a centralized database to get it to you. Well, we are covering that uh, with Aleve. Unlike with our indexing solution. And that's where we come from, to like being able to like create big decentralized applications and really decentralized ones.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure will be blindingly obvious to you at this stage, but I think a lot of our listeners are always interested to hear. You mentioned AWS there, and you held them up as an example of kind of a centralized cloud storage solution, if you like, on very simple terms. What is the drawback for centralization in this context? And what is the benefit of decentralization?
1: Well, uh, it's a good question. There is quite a lot of angles. There is the censorship resistance one. If a government doesn't want you to exist, they can. If, um, if, um, uh, if some kind of of let's say uh, we are all on Twitter, right? Twitter is a company. Yeah. If they want to like remove your account, they can. They can do whatever they want because it's their place. Mm. While if your if your social media is decentralized, there shouldn't be this kind of issues. Or at least, if you want to like have censorship, it should be done in a way where you could create another front end towards the same database where you see everything and not just what hasn't been censored. On another way is, for example, for DeFi, where a lot of uh, government will try to limit what DeFi does. Mm-hmm. And you can even see that some websites for DeFi, you can't log in because if you are in the United States, you are here or there, et cetera, you can't, because they don't want people to trade there. And then those that are really decentralized, you can have alternative front ends to get there. And if it's not really decentralized, you can't. And that's where it's interesting to have your cloud on a decentralized system, unlike your computing as well, because you can just make another front end and it will continue working.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. And that's one of the best answers I think we've had on that question on this podcast. So Great. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I really want to talk about what it looks like to build a business in Web3, because it's not something that we've really touched on many times before in this podcast in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of the business so i guess i'll be interested to understand as a start point how many of you are there at left at the moment
1: uh, we are around between 10 and 15 depending on the days because we have a part who is part-time but yeah
0: sure and and what does that team look like you know what what roles have you brought into the business perhaps in what order it would be interesting to understand your thought process there
1: Well, I can start from the beginning, if you want. Yeah, that'd be great. When I started the project, it was in 2018, 2019. It was the beer market. Mm. Needless to say, it wasn't the full beer market at start. But we started looking at raising funds because I did the white paper, the first test versions, etc. We were fully self-funded. I was the only one working full-time on the project. Well, it was good, but to fund to fundraise, it was hard. We even got in some kind of accelerators that, like, were shut down down the line because of the beer market, and we didn't get any interesting offers to raise money back then and we created uh, uh, and we created like the LF token that we airdropped for free to people who were staking on our nodes on nerves and then people who got uh, who got in a failed ico which was doing decentralized identity in france which is called pixio chain and all those people got tokens for free but well fast forward march 2020 uh, so like more than a year after, I created the company, uh, still self-funded with no funds. Uh, <laughs> I created the company. Then in May, June, I created a Uniswap pool because some companies wanted to like, use the product. And to use the product, they needed tokens. And they weren't in between those who got the tokens for free. So they needed a place to buy it. So a simple Uniswap pool did the trick. And things got pretty crazy because it was a token. And it was the start of the DeFi summer and things got crazy, which was really great, actually. And then we were able to do incentive uh, rewards so that so that our community could just come and put the liquidity there because we didn't have funds. And we were able down the line to do a bit of OTC sales to like to to like, to like fund ourselves. We burnt a huge part of the supply again because we didn't do a big raise or whatever before. And that's how it started.
0: <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, there's two bits that I want to, to drill into there. So when you're talking about the kind of craziness at the beginning of DeFi summer, What does that mean? Just huge demand for your token.
1: Well, when I created that pool, I think I created that one cent, something like that for for Aleph. With the amount of Aleph that was on the market back then, it was like something like 500k circulating supply value. Like, Like the market cap of Aleph was at 500k, something like that at that point. Since people got tokens for free, they sold it, the price got lower, then higher, then lower, then higher. That's what the market does. Uh, I, won't co- I won't comment on price action, but it was really crazy to see that people were really interested in it. Developers were starting to build on it because they like heard about it uh, from the token price action, whatever. And DeFi was all the rage, and we were offering something interesting for DeFi, e- even if the product wasn't fully finished. Whatever we we like already had the database part. Quickly, uh, soon soon enough came the came the storage part. Actually, for DeFi summer, we like already had the storage part, and 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 then in 2021, the computing part came alive, and we like had a real product interesting for DeFi. And that's where it was really interesting. And and that's how we got our first uh, partnership with projects who were interesting in, interested in using the project. And really crazy because of use cases of audience, of people who heard about Aleph. So it was really great.
0: That's awesome. And then the second question I wanted to ask you was about that audience. So I've noticed this trend in Web3 that the most successful projects, no matter, you know, from... The kind of least sophisticated NFT project right through to some, you know, very incredible advanced technology that you're building at the moment. The theme that's been consistent in the successful launch of a project is a strong, engaged community. What tips would you have for founders listening to this podcast around how you can build a, a strong community to launch into? Because that's clearly what you guys did.
1: It's consistency. You, you, you need to continuously ship, continuously communicate, continuously be with your community. I must admit that sometimes, for example, in August, I took one or two weeks of vacation. I was a bit less engaged. And then I saw that it hurt the community engagement. And then we started again, etc. cetera. Um, that's where hiring people to help you is quite interesting. And because at that time, uh, we were hiring, like, for example, my co-founder, Claudio, became full-time around that time in June or July, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the first developers came shortly after, and then more people were joining. We started working with our marketing and PR partner company, and and that's where we are growing.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Shout out to your PR company, because that's the reason we're having this podcast right now. Yeah. We wouldn't have met without your PR company. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah, um, yeah. that's that's really interesting. And I guess I would be interested to hear, so it sounds like you've had a pretty wild ride. I understand completely You know, having a strong community behind you and keeping them engaged is really critical. And when you're talking about hiring staff to help, I presume you mean community managers and, and people of yeah. that ilk. When it comes to the challenges then of building a business in Web3, you know it sounds as if initially fundraising was a challenge but that you actually managed to navigate around it with technologies that wouldn't otherwise be available if you weren't building in web3 almost yeah so so what's what have been the what have been the hard bits that you've had to overcome
1: well uh the beer market was <laughs> really hard and i really feel for people starting today if the beer market is there to last it's hard like don't underestimate it, really, to, like, founders who are starting today. Don't underestimate it. Can you stay one year without paying yourself? Can you stay two years without paying yourself? And that's the real question. Uh, can you? You could do even do side gigs to, like, get around it. But if you do side gigs, it might take too much of your time, and then your project will die. Uh, so that's the real question. That's where, and also don't take bad deals because there are some people who are preying on startups in the beer market, trying to get huge share of your supply or big shares or token or whatever for like low amounts because they see that you need that money. Don't take too bad offers. So...
0: I think, that's, I think that's a great answer. And I, I think your experience is going to be particularly relevant. You know, I don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, but, you know, we are in a bear market at the moment, you know, and yet another crypto crash. And of course, everyone talks about how some of the best, most innovative projects were started either in or just after the previous bear market, which is the first thing that comes to mind when I speak to you. <laughs> so what advice would you give founders who, you know, are looking at the price of, tokens and, and coins and everything crashing around them who are just starting out on a project would your advice be to persevere would it be to come back in two years when maybe the landscape is a bit different
1: there there, there is two parts to like the question one which is looking at prices of other things going up yeah i saw a bit of project dying stopping because teams were like hey it won't continue let's We we don't have any interest in that. Let's just die and whatever. Uh, If they kept at it and stayed, they would have been successful. Perhaps not, but perhaps yes. So giving up is a real hard thing because you want to give up. Like it's the easy solution, especially for because I think that there is quite a lot of company who raised a lot of money now and are like, okay, everything is going to the cheater. We raised way more than like our market cap. What? Ever, uh, should we, shouldn't we just close shop and go on the beach? I don't think that's a good solution because if you are here, it's to build. Mm. And even those who were here just to raise money and not do it, uh, building is fun. And in the beer market, it's even more fun because all the conferences, everything, you are only seeing really passionate people. And then you could even meet people. People who will help you advance and help you concretize ideas that you, for some, perhaps even raised, like only not knowing how they they will do it. There is always ways and doing the right thing is always good. And then for those who are starting now and didn't raise anything, it's hard. It's really hard. Try to find some alternative ways. Because DeFi is there and there is alternative ways. And there are people who are okay to fund if they know that they can have an exit later, etc. So tokens are okay to do that. Don't do an ICO, IEO or whatever. Try to get the closer you can to people who can fund you. I guess that's the best way. And I don't have a clear answer because means are always changing and there will be new stuff coming up.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great explanation. And also, I very much agree with your point that the people left in this space are going to be the ones that are really passionate about it and are going to be the big winners, to take your point a little bit further, when there is the next kind of peak in the market and as the Web3 space becomes increasingly integrated you know, into the framework of the Internet. Great. Okay. Makes sense. Um, with that in mind then, so not dwelling on the past or looking at where we are uh, presently and moaning about the bear market. What's the future of Aleph?
1: There is a few parts to like that answer. Sorry, big question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a big question. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. There is one very big thing for us, which is the pay-as-you-go model. Because right now, you can't get service by just holding Aleph tokens. With pay-as-you-go, the idea is that you are consuming Aleph tokens to get service. Uh, consuming Aleph tokens means that those tokens will go to those who are providing the service, a part to, like, the controllers of the network who are the core channels, akin to, like, like validators in proof-of-state system. Um, So you are actually using the token in a circular economy. Perhaps a part will be burned each time. We don't really know because it's still in the works. But, but yeah, uh, pay-as-you-go part is really huge for us because that's where you can actually measure... Uh, actual use of, of the currency of the network because, because the left token is a real utility token that is used on the network. And right now you are holding it and then there are rewards on like the other side. And since you are locking a left token to get service, then you are removing from the circulating supply and that warrants giving it from the other side so this is big for us there is also the storage resource node coming in the future and, then, and something that is really also big for us is the release of the open source uh, indexing framework that we are working on. Right now, we are doing indexing for a lot of Solana projects. Whatever DeFi or project you think of on Solana, we have an indexer for it, and it's used by a lot of people. And we are releasing an open source framework for that, but not only for Solana, but it will also allow you to index data on EVM chain, Tezos, and and likely also Cosmos and others. So that's a big part of our um, strategy because anyone can just fork an indexer and deploy it on the network. And yeah, we are also going to update a bit the tokenomics to like make the incentive pool bigger because the incentive pool is what we are using to like, uh, is what the network is using to pay for minimum wage uh, for like network nodes and stuff like that.
0: It makes sense. And it's great to hear that you guys are building on Solana. For our listeners that are interested, we have an episode with Andrea Baglioni of the Solana Foundation. You can check that out at Series 2, Episode 4 to hear about why building in the Solana ecosystem (laughs) is what all smart businesses in Web3 seem to be doing. Makes a lot of sense. And okay, my my kind of second question in that theme is we know where a left may be headed. What are you most excited about in the future of the space what What is web three going to look like in five years' time
1: it's a good question <laughs> uh, no pressure
0: just a huge projection yeah. needed
1: yeah, well, we have DeFi. we need to consolidate, uh, and we need to like consolidate it, get it more blended with the regular world, even if it 's hard to see because the regular financial world isn't really happy about it well they start to be so they they started coming to it and that's pretty cool mm-hmm. uh, but web3 is actually the web and the web needs to be decentralized and and i know that a lot of my fellow open source enthusiasts and contributors a lot of people have bad Uh, I have a bad opinion of Web3 because they think that you need to pay to have it and that it's all grifters or whatever. Perhaps the beer market will help there. We will have less of that vision from the open source world. And this will help a lot because the world is, because the World Wide Web is built on open source. And it's one of the key parts of the web is that it's open source. Without open source, we would have nearly nothing on the web today. And we need to come at peace with the open source community and show them that we are here to really decentralize things and make it good for everyone. That also means less speculation for the sake of speculation. And the bear market can help with that. And LF.AM on the LF network currency, which is the LF token, isn't a really speculative token. It's a token that is done to be used on the network. It may appreciate in value. And that's okay, but it's not a speculative asset. It's an asset that is made to be used on the network. And and the good part is that you should be able to use it on the network. And I think that that's where we are headed back. We are going to see all the tokens based on their utility, based on the network use, based on the actual, uh, on the actual revenue of the network, etc. And it will all make more sense. And that's pretty cool, in a sense. Uh, even it will, if it will make raises and stuff like that harder, it will also clean the space a bit, which is needed. Yeah,
0: that's easy for you to say on the raise front. Now, Alepha uh, yeah. killing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a great, uh, a great point you made, and you know about the web being built on open source and how this is in many ways society reverting to first principles in some ways when it comes to internet usage and the way that um, yeah. the way that we we do things. Okay, great. So I appreciate we're nearly at time. So before I let you go, I want to uh, glean some of your wisdom. So what are some of the resources that have had an impact on you as you've gone through this journey? Now, just to clarify, they don't have to be web three related. But anything that you've really found has had a a profound impact on you?
1: I, I think that doing stuff outside of your bubble is quite cool. I've learned economics when I was uh, uh, at school and I even started uh, an economics study career that that I didn't continue. Mm -hmm. It helped me a lot. So like read big economic authors can be good. And yeah, do stuff outside because if you are a developer, okay, that's cool. Try doing some IoT stuff. Try doing some hardware. It will give you some low-level knowledge that you wouldn't have without that. For example, programming on a microcontroller um, mm, made me learn about uh, bit swapping, bit shifting, and things like that. And it helped me a lot understand how Bitcoin worked back then, how Ethereum works, how all those network works, even in their binary protocols that are really, really down in the stack and try to play with everything if you hear a word like for example DHT what is a DHT uh, it's a distributed hash table then go and see what is it play with it because all the peer to peer networks are based on it and 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 we can't say blockchain but in reality what we are saying is is a whole set of technologies that include Hashing, peer-to-peer texts like DHT, uh, elliptic curve cryptography, etc., etc., etc. So, like, if you look at Aleph.im, it's not a blockchain at all because there is no blocks. But in reality, we are using all the other technologies of the blockchain. So, in a sense, it could be a blockchain even if we don't have any blocks. So, yeah. So that's one part, like, read. There is a real good book, which, well, which is, a, which is a book about development patterns. It's, uh, it's actually called uh, Development Patterns. Uh, read it if you are a developer, uh, because you will learn about singleton and things like that. Well, you probably heard about it. You have empirical knowledge about it. Reading the book is good. Always. First, first
0: <laughs> principles again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's mostly it. And then read articles and stuff like that.
0: What do you think about podcasts?
1: It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, act- uh, uh, actually, if you if you drive a lot in your days or like take the train, it's great. Just put your headphones uh, or the car audio and listen to podcasts like this one, obviously. And it's really great to like listen in your car and then you are not just losing your time in the car you are actually learning it's really great
0: thank you and i appreciate you responding to my shameless plug there for myself <laughs> no fantastic and jonathan how can people best get in touch with you if they want to ask any questions or find out more about a left
1: uh, well, uh, there is my Twitter account with, uh, my, um, my real name is Jonathan Chamoul. My Twitter account is Moshe Malawar. Because, you know, you, uh, your agent name is your second name and the last thing you ate. Well, that <laughs> day I ate Malawar, which is a, uh, which is a Yemeni dish. And my second name is Moshe. So, yeah. Uh, so let so let's, so like, yeah, Moshe Malawar on Twitter, uh, or on our Telegram, chat room about Aleph that's where we all are
0: Fantastic, I will put the link to your Twitter and to the Telegram chat in the show notes for any listener that wants to take a look Um, and I will also be joining that Telegram group uh, myself I'm sorry it's taken me so long Jonathan, that's appalling. Fantastic, well Jonathan that was a really, really interesting episode and you answered a lot of questions that have been playing on my mind for quite some time, so thank you so much. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you What a fantastic episode and a huge thank you to Jonathan for coming on the show and for you, the listener, for tuning in. To check out the show notes, see other guests and listen to more exciting episodes of this podcast, you can find us online at theweb3podcast.xyz If you want to get in touch with me you can find me on Twitter, my handle's at Callum Wooders, that's Callum with two L's or you can drop me an email to callum at theweb3podcast.xyz This has been the Web 3 Podcast Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next
1: time.